see where my people are at. You know you're my people if you remember and love the iconic movie Back to the Future. You remember that one? Great movie, Michael J. Fox's Marty McFly. He's a teenager who has a, a good friend who's a little bit of a kooky doctor named Doc Brown. And Doc Brown has a DeLorean that he has turned into a time machine. And through some escapades, Marty McFly ends up in the time machine and he ends up leaving the present time to go back to the past where in the weirdest of things, he meets his parents when they were teenagers. Remember all this? And, and he, has to, he has to work to try to make sure that his parents fall back in love because if they don't, or if they don't fall in love, he'll be erased from the timeline. And so in the movie, he's trying to get mom and dad to fall in love. He does, and then he comes back home. And when he comes back home to the present day, everything's better. In fact, we find out he opens his garage door and he's got the brand new pickup truck that he'd been dreaming about at the beginning of the movie. He sees his parents in the doorway and he can tell just by looking at them that they are not the dysfunctional parents that he had, that, that he's, he's changed the future. And then his girlfriend Jennifer's there. And as we get ready for our like happily ever after ending, a DeLorean comes screeching into the driveway. And the door pops open and Doc Brown jumps out and he's in some weird get-up outfit. And he's got some sunglasses on that obviously came from the future. And he runs up to Marty and he says, Marty, we've got to go. And Marty says, where? And he says, back to the future. And Marty says, no, 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 no. I just got here. And everything's good. And, 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 and Jennifer, his girlfriend, she's with me. And, and Doc Brown says, that's great. She needs to come too because this involves her. And Marty McFly says, wait, wait, what? What do you mean? What happens in the future? Is there something, something wrong with us? And Doc Brown says, no, 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 Marty. You turn out fine. It's your kids, Marty. We've got to do something about your kids. <laughs> and wouldn't it be great if in our parenting years we could look to the future, see what the outcome was going to be, and then come back and parent either towards those goals to continue to make it happen or to be strategic and change what we're doing so that we could get a better product or outcome. That would be fantastic. As a father of an 11-year-old or 8-year-old, I would cherish that. Can't. In a way I can, though. Because there's some people that are out in front of me in life. And they've raised adult kids. And so I wanted to get a little bit of a future perspective. Ask some people who had been where I haven't been, who've been to the future with parenting, and I asked them, hey, what are some things that you did well? And these are church members, First Baptist I asked, and what are some things that you would do differently knowing what you know now? I had several respond. I did not handpick the answers. I put every answer up here on these slides you're about to see, except for the ones that came just too late after it had gone to, to print. So here are some of the things they said. Go ahead and hit the first one. Nope. It's the parenting responses. I don't have them memorized, so I'm going to read them. And if I can't read them, then we're going to. There we go. Okay, here we go. So here's what a parent said. They said, I, I, I would not be as lazy. I'd get up and go outside and play ball. I'd get up and go upstairs and talk or join in an activity. Another parent Looking back, said I would have spent more time one-on-one -on -one with both my kids and focused on more encouragement for them and less criticism. Another parent said, patience comes to mind. Work, cooking, cleaning, sports, busyness happened. Wish we would have stopped and spent more quality time with them. 
they become adults so fast. Even though they got lots of hugs, I would hug longer and more often. Another parent said, I'd spend more regular private time with each child. And another said, I would try to spend more time individually with each son. Now this reminds me of a story of a lady named Barbara Crinsavage. Barbara Crinsavage lived with her husband up northeast side of the United States. And one snowy December afternoon, she kind of got that hankering for some clams. I don't know why. Maybe that's the northeast version of tacos. But she thought, you know, I want clams for dinner tonight. Pulled up an old recipe that she had, sent her husband out to the store to buy clams, bring them back. And that night they're just there and they are, they're shucking clams and going through to get them ready for this recipe and this meal. And as they're, they're going through, pulling out the clams, I, I read the story and it says they were shucking clams. I don't even know what that means, but I think it means preparing clams. Going through and they, they pull out one clam and it's, it's discolored, something's wrong with it. And as they're going, she looks at it and she thinks, oh, this one must be diseased or dead. And starts to toss it aside to go to the rest of the clams. But before she did, something stopped her. She opens up that clam and inside is a purple pearl. Now, it's rare because one, clams don't produce pearls like oysters do. To get a purple pearl inside a clam is one in about every two million clams. And the one that she found, the size of it, was huge. So big and so rare that it became difficult to even price it. But the experts said, we don't know exactly what the value is, but we can tell you this. You're talking about the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Do you imagine that? Like, just, just one random December night, you're shucking clams in your kitchen. And the next thing you know, in a moment... You're hundreds of thousands of dollars richer. I want to make sure that what, we're, what we've just learned from some parents isn't lost on us. Some of us came into church this morning just checking a box, ready to come, because that's what we do. Hopefully you came in before you walked in these doors in a prayerful attitude saying, Lord, show me, show me what you want to show me today. Lord, I want to worship you. I want to be different. But let's be honest in reality. A lot of us walked in because it's Sunday and that's what we do. We were just shucking clams. And then we had a treasure just laid before us. Future vision of what parents said. And some of you have been there. And here's what they said over and over again, not picked. They said, if I could do it differently, I would have done something different with my time. I would have invested more in my kids. I would have been more purposeful. Because purposeful parenting leads us to a more prepared disciple. Now, I want to say this to you. If you're not a parent of children or teenagers, I don't want you to check out. Because the passage we're going to look at this morning really has nothing to do with parenting. It has to do with discipleship. But as disciples, if you have kids in your home, that is a part of parenting is a part of your discipleship. If you don't have parents in my home, here's how this passage of Scripture might affect you. If you have grandkids, purposeful grandparenting, leads to more prepared disciples. If you're an aunt or an uncle, being purposeful with your nephews and nieces leads to more prepared disciples. Maybe you have adult kids and you go, hey, I have adult kids, they're gone. I missed the opportunity. Do you know scripture teaches us pretty clearly that parenting doesn't end? In the the Ten Commandments when it says, honor your father and mother, that, that was written to adults, not to kids. 
It's written to adults to honor their mother and father. Why? Because as parents of adult children, we're still parenting and leading and influencing the next generation. So being purposeful with your adult children leads to more prepared disciples. Maybe you're single. You got no kids, you got no nephews, you got no nieces. What you're going to see, this passage of scripture is written for you because it's not about parenting. It's about your discipleship journey. So I want you to go to the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. If you're not familiar with Ephesians, it's a letter written by a guy named Paul to the church in a city called Ephesus. Now, Paul was a religious leader. And when I say religious leader, he was top of the line in Judaism. He was what they, he referred to himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he, was, he wasn't just some run-of-the-mill spiritual leader. He was one that people looked to. And then Paul has this moment where he meets the risen Christ and it forever changes his life. His mission in life changes. He goes from being a, a Pharisee, he goes to, from that to becoming a missionary where his, his life mission becomes taking the gospel all across Europe and around the Mediterranean Sea's coast. Everything that he does is about taking Jesus to other people. And when Paul is not talking to people as a missionary, he's writing letters. In fact, 13 of the 27 books in our New Testament are written by Paul. And Paul writes this letter to the, to the church of Ephesus while he's in prison, in prison because of his faith. Now, if you go to Ephesians 5, in verse 22 and down, Paul gives us some of the most iconic words to husbands and wives about marriage. And then after that, he talks to children and parents. And he talks about parenting. But before we, he gets to that, in Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul says this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. He uses that word walk five times. This is the fifth time that he uses it in the letter to the church at Ephesus. And every time that he uses it, he's talking about their life. If you're reading from the NIV, the NIV translates it that way. He's saying, hey, Look carefully at how you live. Actually, if you look at the way the Greek grammar takes place, what, what he really says here, a better translation, is he says, look so that you live or so that you walk carefully. That word means in exactness or in detail. He says, look and make sure that your life, in everything that you do, every nook and cranny has the gospel infused in it. That word is the same word that King Herod Jews. If you go back to the Christmas story and King Herod finds out from the Magi that there is a baby king born and King Herod's threatened and he tells the Magi to go look carefully. It's the same word. Go and search every home. Go and search every shop. Interview everybody that you need to interview. Turn over every rock. Look in every corner. Be diligent. Be exact. Be purposeful. So that's what Paul says here. He says, look that you live, that you walk, that you parent carefully in exactness, purposeful. And, you know, that's, that's a little bit easier to do, parenting like with your first child. If you had kids, you, if you had more than one kid, you, you'll track with me here. You remember the first child was a totally different game than the second child and the third child. I, I had a friend who's preaching, and, and he told a story. He said, you know, when you have your first child and you're out on the playground with them and you look over and that first baby, like, takes a handful of dirt and eats it, 
But the first child, right, you run over, you scoop the child up, you throw him in the backseat of the car, you drive straight to the hospital for a stomach pump because they ate a handful of dirt, right? And you're calling, you're calling grandparents, I don't know if they're going to make it. Second child comes along, same playground, same dirt pile, takes a handful of dirt, second child puts it in their mouth. As the parent, you just like wash their mouth out. Third child comes along, same playground, same dirt pile, reaches in, takes a handful of dirt. Third child, you're thinking, do I have to do lunch now? Or have we covered that? Like, <laughs> right? Totally different, totally different. I, I had a friend who tells a story, four kids, and his youngest kid, three girls, and the youngest kid was a boy. He said, I walked into my son's room one day. He was a small kid. And he said he had a football helmet on. And he had taken a wire coat hanger and unraveled the wire coat hanger, turned it into a U, stuck the two ends of the wire coat hanger through the holes at the top of the helmet. So the kid's got the helmet on and two wires sticking out. And he said, I walked in and my son was on his hands and knees trying to get the two wires into the plug in the room. And he said, I ran over and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I want to see like in the cartoons when it makes, it makes it you can see your skeleton. Right. And he said, take the helmet off. Stop. Fourth kid, like, stop. First kid, you've got you know, the, the stops on all of the plugs. No one in the house can use electricity when you have the first kid, right? You have a generator out back because you, you can't get the things out of the plugs. First kid has a helmet on because you put the helmet on him, right? So they don't fall and get hurt. Fourth kid, he's about to electrocute himself and kill himself. Just stop, please. First kid, we are way more intentional. Not my first child, I had spreadsheets of products to buy. Like I, I had like the top 10 strollers on the market, spreadsheets of which one was best and the best value and why. I had a plan. I don't even know if I have pictures of my second child, right? <laughs> totally different. Somewhere along the way, we get more comfortable. We also might get tired. But, but hear me when I say this. There's a spiritual war going on. And your children and grandchildren's souls are at stake. And we don't have the time, ability, or reason to get comfortable, to get tired. Because in a moment, the time will be gone. The opportunity will be passed. And that's why now we have to parent with purpose. It's important. It's a game changer. Paul goes on and he says this. He says, look that you walk carefully, not as unwise, but as wise. He says, we need to live our lives. If you're a disciple, not as the way that the world, the unwise would tell us, but with wisdom as the way scripture, as the way God would unfold it. If you're a parent, that folds on top of that. We have to parent, not as the way that the world would tell us to parent with what's important, but to parent with the way that the scripture, that God lays out for us to parent. Now, when I was a kid, I used to love doing models. And this was not purposeful. But I actually found a Back to the Future model. <laughs> I mean, right? This must be of God. Because <laughs> it was at 7 o'clock at Hobby Lobby last night when I realized I needed this. I, mean, I, I, used, to, I used to get this. Models, it would be, it would be cars, it would be 
planes. My dad flew helicopters. It'd be helicopters. And we would get these models. And you know what we did? We kept this, right? This, this is one of the most important things that you get with a model. This is the picture of what it's supposed to look like. And so when you're going through the pieces and you start pulling some things out and you go, well, I don't really know. I don't know what this is. A lot of times you go back and you look at the picture and you go, okay, oh, that's what that is. But it wasn't just the picture. You also had instructions in the bottom that came with it, right? We've got these that help us with the strategy, tell us what to do. And if you were wise, you had a strategy for the model together. Like you knew if you were a veteran, you pulled out all the pieces that needed to be painted and you painted them first. Because once you put them together, it got more difficult to paint without it getting on other pieces. So you had a plan. Lay out all my pieces. I'm going to paint all my pieces. And then you looked at the picture and you looked at the instructions and you took your time to glue those pieces together because you knew that if you glued the wrong piece to the wrong spot, your $18 was wasted. Because that glue does not come off. It gets more difficult And all of a sudden, people come over and you want them to see your incredible DeLorean. And they go, I don't see it. There's a picture. There's a strategy. Paul says that we need to live our lives as wise and not as unwise. What Paul would say to us is you need a picture of where you're headed and a strategy to get there. As a parent, as you're discipling your kids as the primary disciple, you need a picture of what it looks like and a strategy to get there. Well, guess what? We've got the picture of what it looks like. It's Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what our goal is, to follow him, to be like him. What's the strategy or the instructions? The instructions are right here. So we've got the picture, we've got the instructions, but we don't have the strategy. We've got too many parents and too many grandparents that are just moseying on through life, hoping that it comes out right. And then if, if you've been privileged enough to have grandchildren, you start to sweat it a little bit. Because you see things that they start doing and you're like, I don't know if that's going to turn out like the picture. And you start to feel the weight because you realize it goes back to you as the primary disciple of your kids who are now the primary disciple of their kids. Purposeful parenting leads to a more prepared disciple. Paul says, look, that you walk carefully, that you parent with purpose. Not as unwise like the world, but as wise, making the best use of the time. That passage of scripture, that that Greek word there, when Paul talks about time, he's not talking about like hours and minutes and the passage of time. The word is is a Greek word that means opportunity. And when he talks about making the most of it, that is a Greek phrase that was used in the marketplace. And so it was an idea of buying up something, snapping up something that was a great deal. So like you're in the market and, and, and a new stock comes out where you can buy it and you go, hey, I know, I know the president of that company, everything they touch turns to gold. Here comes the stock on the market and it's $2 a share. You start buying it all up. Paul says we got to make the most use of our time. We have to buy up the opportunities because they're fleeting. In my living room, I have two glass vases. I should have brought them. And they have marbles in each one. I got an idea from a family ministry guy. And each marble represents a week 
that my children will be in my home. Now, if you walk to my house, you won't notice it because my wife is, is a decorator and makes sure they look nice, right? Can't have just some random marble stacked in, in glass jars. But the idea is every week you take one of those marbles out and put it away and you watch over the years those, that marble level drop and there's going to come a time. Fast forward seven years from now when I'm sitting in May with a graduated senior and I'm going to have about six marbles left in the bottom of that vase. Six weeks until she leaves and goes to college. That's humbling. To look back and think, hey, that jar was twice as filled as it is now in what feels like yesterday. Purposeful parenting. Seizing up, buying up the opportunities that we have to disciple. If you're a grandparent, seizing the opportunities this summer when you see your grandkids, not just to let those go by, but to be intentional, pouring faith into them, helping them see Jesus in you. Continuing to encourage your adult children, your nephews, your nieces, your spouse, helping disciple the person that you've been called, if you're married, to spend the rest of your life with. Intentional in the moments. And isn't that what Deuteronomy 6 is all about? I mean, that's one of those parenting passages that we refer to, especially in family ministry. Deuteronomy 6 says this, you've heard it before. I've preached it before. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, adults. Did you get that? These words that I command you today shall be on parents, grandparents, adult hearts. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently purposefully, with exactness. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Doesn't that about cover it? (laughs) You're to disciple, you're to parent diligently with purpose to raise up the next generation of disciples when you sit down together, when you walk together, when you go to bed, and when you get up. Throughout your day and everything that you do, we've been called to purposefully parent because that's how we make disciples. And then he goes on and says this, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Israelites had the Shema written on their doorframe so that not just as they parented purposely, but everywhere their kids looked, they saw the fingerprint of God in their homes. Because it was the most important thing that a parent did was to pass on faith because it had eternal ramifications. Purposeful to prepare them. And, and, and here's, here's why. Paul tells us at the very end of that sentence. He says, because the days are evil. Because it ain't getting any easier. You got to disciple now because if you Wait until they're 12, it gets harder. And if you wait until they're 18, it gets more difficult. And if you start being purposeful in your parenting when they're 30, there's a lot of work to undo. That doesn't mean you don't do it. 
That doesn't mean that you don't beg the Holy Spirit to give you the supernatural power and the open, softened heart of your kids to lean into them at whatever age they are. But it doesn't get easier, and our culture isn't getting easier. That's why we've got to be purposeful in parenting so that we prepare disciples. How are we going to do that? You, you know, there's, there's hundreds of books out about discipling. There's hundreds of books about parenting. None of them are definitive. The person that writes the, the definitive book one day that tells you exactly how to raise perfect kids, well, they'll write that book and they'll never work again, right? Because everyone will be buying it. We're trying to figure it out. So what I'm going to give us today to launch us off into the summer for the, for the best summer ever is not the, the one thing that you've got to do. It's just two things that we're going to do this summer. So for your kids, for your grandkids, for your nieces and nephews, for your spouse, if you're single, you've got no kids, no spouse, for you. The first thing we're going to do is this. We're going to create intentional fun. We're, we're going to find some things because fun connects hearts, Right? Fun is the lifeblood of relationships. Just think for a second. Think about the people that you love, people that you enjoy being with. Your favorite people in the world, they're fun, aren't they? You have a good time with them. You laugh. You've got great memories. Fun is the lifeblood of relationships, and it connects hearts. I'm going to confess this to you. I was born and raised in church. First Baptist Church, Colleen, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, Every Wednesday night, I have a lot of memories, a lot of memories. I remember going to Bible Beach Bash camp. I'm, I could tell you stories all day long just about camp. I remember scavenger hunts. I remember lock-ins. I remember going to water parks. I remember going to my first concert, Petra. <laughs> Woo, that's a little bit of an embarrassment at this moment. Remember all of those things. With my church, all these fun things. Now, here's what I'm going to confess to you. You know what I don't remember? I don't remember one sermon. I don't. I don't remember one Sunday school lesson. I don't remember one Bible study. Now track with me for a second. I am who I am spiritually. A large part of that is because of the ministry and the sermons and the Sunday school and the Bible study teaching at First Baptist Colleen. And they filled my heart and they filled my mind. And God used those to grow me into a disciple. So I'm not downplaying those at all, but I want to make the point to you. The reason why those things took root in my heart was because I was at a church that I loved being at. Because we had fun. And that's what I remember. Fun opened up my heart for the gospel to be transplanted as a teenager. So when we say this summer we're going we're gonna to create intentional fun, there's a purpose behind it. We're creating fun so we can open up heart connections so that our kids and our grandkids and whoever it is that God's placed in your circle have great memories and great experiences with you because that buys influence with those people. So the way we're going to do that with our families, if you've got kids at home, there's going to be some buckets on the back table on your way out. There's some buckets over by the playground. There's some buckets at E1. There's some buckets by the gym. There's a small bucket, and they're filled with resources inside, ideas, things that you can do to create intentional moments of fun <coughs> this summer. And there's a little card inside. You can pull out that card, and on the front side of the card, it says something along the lines of three ways to have fun. It's not, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out how we're going to do this. And you're, you're just going to make a commitment. You're not turning that card in. It's for you. 
And you're going to write down, hey, here are three things that I'm going to intentionally do this summer to create great memories. Because here's what happened. If you don't do it purposefully, it may not happen. Because you'll get comfortable and you'll get busy. You'll get tired. And the next thing you know, summer will be over. So start thinking. If you're in life groups this morning, there were some big buckets in our adult life groups as well. And, and, and the idea was to take sticky notes and just start brainstorming ideas and sticking them all over those buckets that said best summer ever. Why? Because we need each other's help. We need creative ideas. We need to see, hey, what are you doing? And what are you doing? Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. I want to do that with my kids. Oh, you're doing that. I want to do that with my grandkids. And we get some ideas from other people to create these memories that build heart connections through which the gospel flows. And that's the second thing. Because more importantly than fun, we're going to come up with three intentional ways to make disciples this summer. So the summer isn't lost on us. We're going to ask as a church family for all of us to start thinking, hey, what could I do purposefully to lead my spouse closer to Jesus over the next 10 weeks? What could I do during the summer? I've got kids at home. What am I going to do to leverage these moments, to buy up the opportunities, as Paul would say, to make disciples? What are we going to do so the summer doesn't pass us by and we're starting back in school years and we've missed it all? You're going to be intentional. Same thing. You're going to flip that card over. And on the other side of that card, it's going to say three ways to intentionally disciple kids. Actually, I didn't say your kids, I don't think. It just says three ways because it could be your spouse or whoever. And so the idea of the best summer ever is to make this moment count. I don't know if we'll ever do it again. We have a family ministry campaign team that helped walk us through and did all of this stuff. And we started talking about what was the purpose? How do we know if this is success? And I said, you know how to be a success? How we'll know? Because people will come back and they'll go, we want to do that again because I saw the change in my family. I saw some steps forward in our spiritual growth, and they'll want to do it again. Now, here's, here's what I'm saying. We may or may not do it again, but we don't need to because you're the primary disciple and maker of your families. You can do it every summer. And we come out of the best summer ever. Here's a fantastic idea. You, you can do this. We're not, I can tell you we're not doing this, but you can how about the best fall ever? After that, we could follow that up with the best winter ever. And then, you know what comes after that? Hopefully I don't have to keep going. Because we're discipling, we're making intentional moments, and we're going to practice this summer. Here's what I look forward to one day. A dream. I look forward to one day being older, being at Christmas with my kids, my daughters, and hopefully their spouses and my grandbabies. And I really, I look forward to one night sitting by a Christmas tree after we've spent time making fun and making some memories. I look forward to something like this happening that my, my kids look to their kids and they say, hey, it's time to go to bed. And I'd love to hear this, but before we go to bed, you know, we're, we're not going to do what we normally do. We're not going to go into the room and circle up around the beds and pray together. Tonight, why don't you go get in Peepaw and Meemaw's lap? And why don't you pray with your grandma and grandpa? And if God so chooses to give me a moment where my grandbabies sit in my lap and I hear those children 
talking to the God who created them. You know, it won't matter what the retirement account is at that time. It won't matter if I'm in my retirement dream home. It won't won't matter much about anything. But if that moment happens, I will go see Jesus one day with a heart full that multiple generations in my family have followed the Lord. And I want that for you too. But before we get there, before we create fun, before we create intentional discipleship moments, we also have to come to the point where we are clear and we make sure that we're a disciple. Right? You can't get your kids to follow Jesus if you're not. That's not following, that's directing, and it doesn't work. So I want to make sure before we close out the service and before we walk out and grab buckets and before we start filling out cards, I want to make sure that every person in this room has the opportunity to be a disciple first. And what that means is if there's never been a time in your life where you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and change you forever, to forgive you of your sin, past, present, future, to come and be boss of your life. For, if you never get to the point where you say, hey, God, I realize that I'm broken and I'm a sinner and I need you to change my life. I need you for forgiveness. I need you to call the shots. Then maybe that moment's today. Maybe your best summer ever starts with meeting Jesus and then beginning the discipleship with your family even today. So if that's you, I want to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you if you would just pray with me real quick. And the rest of us will pray along. Those of us who are in the room that have already chosen to follow Christ at some point, you, you understand the magnitude of this moment. So I'm going to ask that we all just bow our heads for a second and pray. If you're a believer, pray for those in the room that may not be. And if, if you're not a follower of Christ and you want to be, I just, I just want you to pray this prayer. I just want you to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you were resurrected from the dead. Come into my life and save me. In a moment, we're going to sing and we're going to have a time of response here in this service. In our other campuses and our other venues, some of our pastors will be available. If you pray that prayer, you can come and find them and talk. But do business with the Lord this morning so that you can become the best disciple maker there's ever been in your home.